Now listen, in the light of what we've been talking about, touching and reaching, say this, say, I'm a toucher. Now you know what I mean, touching people for God, touching their lives. Say, I'm a toucher and a reacher. I'm a reacher and a toucher. And I believe today, every seed of the word I sow into the lives of others will take root and grow. And it'll produce in them like it's produced in me. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Well, good morning. Isn't that exciting to hear those stories? Thank you, James. Hear those stories about the reaches. People are out there. You just have to look for them. I'm going to show you scriptures today, tell you some things we've mentioned while we were praying for people. Once you reach out to somebody with Christian love, some concern of your heart to help them, it might be feed them a meal. And just, you know, but you, you take an opportunity like that yes. to let people know, hey, I was looking for an opportunity to bless somebody today. And the card Amen. says this now, the little card, give me a card. Mine's in my billfold, but I don't have my billfold in my pocket. This card is so neat that you can leave with them. Now you stay and minister to them. You, you minister any scripture to them, lead them to the Lord if you get that opportunity. Right. Pray for their healing. You know, spend time with them like, like Granny did. Spent 30 minutes sitting right. with a, uh, perhaps a homeless man or a man, in, you know, hurting, something like that. What a, what a beautiful thing right. to Amen. love and reach out. But at that moment that you've reached them, whether it's a brief encounter or, but anyway, you were going to talk about bringing them to a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. But then you can leave them this card. And I love the card. I love the way it's written. Jeremiah was a part of this. Jennifer was a part of this. Uh, who else was a part of this? I don't remember. David was a part of this, the QR code. All this stuff is so neat. You give them a little card like this. We've got, we've had, a, I think, seven or 800 of them already printed. And so they're getting out there. So now we're running into people that's already got a card given to them. And that's wonderful. Hey, let them know that God thinks about them twice. I think that's powerful. But the card's so wonderful because when they get it, they read it after you've gone, perhaps. They pull this out and it says, I prayed that God would help me to reach someone for him today and you're that one. Right. And then it's got our logo and the <laughs> telephone number there. It says, if you need prayer, call this number. But on the back, it's got our church information. It tells them our church services because church helped us, so we believe church can help them. Yeah. But then David's got a QR code on that. And if you don't know how to do that, David's going to give us a course on how to do it. And he'll probably show you today. But if you've got a smart device, an iPhone, typically, your, your iPhone will read that and it'll scan that. And you can do it even if you don't have the app. You can do it through a picture. Jennifer showed us that the other day. And immediately it'll take you to Jasper Christian Center's podcasts. And what, what the podcast, what that means is not, we're not raising whales. But <laughs> podcasting means it takes them to a library a library of sermons on there, sermons that may have helped us that immediately can help them. They can begin to listen to it on their smart device, and that's powerful, as well as it's got website information so they can go there and search and do things of that nature. But these are, these are free. Just pick these up, take them, and love people enough. Now, now, probably how you give it to them will determine whether or not they'll receive it. And what I mean is whether they'll do anything with it I'm talking about. You know. In other words, if you, if you go to a restaurant and spend $50 on a meal and leave a $2 tip, and then this with it, they're going to probably throw that away with, uh, with looking for you next time. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know, give them a generous tip where it's like, wow, uh, Susan and her mother had went out to eat the other day and they left a, a nice tip. Well, well that's so, the tip so moved the waitress at the restaurant they were at that they, that they saw her later. She just had to sit because she was overwhelmed. You know, when most waitress, waiters, well, you've done that, Jeremiah. You know what it is. You're working. You got probably got family at home. I don't know her situation, but you're trying to earn. You're trying to make money and, and people give coins. I mean, usually they give the change out of their, out of, out of what they paid with their bill. And, and they don't think about that. These people make what an hour in most restaurants, two thirteen, two thirteen an hour. You know, that means they're dependent upon what you do as the tip. And you give them, you, you gave them a little tip. Now they made three dollars for our messing with you. 
Come on, think like that. But what if you give them a $20 tip? More or less, but I mean, just what if you give them more? A $100 tip, whatever the Lord leads you to do. Listen to you, there's going to, two things are going to happen. This card's going to be real important to them. This lady, after they left them a, a sizable tip, a nice tip for her, above the average tip, they saw her go over to a, the waitress, go over to another empty table, sit down and start reading and looking at that because they was interested in this because it touched her heart and she communicated how it touched their heart. So two, that's one thing that'll happen. The other thing is that waiter or waitress will be looking for you next time you come to that restaurant. That's right. That's right. I have a table for you right now. You'll be in my section. Oh, listen, I, you ought to tell that, Lisa. You ought to tell it because you'll tell it better. But I'm going to tell you, this is a good point. Y'all mind me taking a moment on this? Lisa, you know how to get up? All right. I have to direct people. I have to direct people. I'm on a time schedule here. No, but listen. Now, listen, I want you to hear this. Lisa started outreaching about three weeks ago, paying a, somebody's meal at the at the. What do you call it? At the drive-thru, the car behind me. You don't even know who it is, you know. We didn't have the cards at the time, but just say, let them know, you know, bless them. I think you said you I left a church card. Didn't have the regular card, this card. But the idea is she wasn't doing that so that somebody would buy her a meal. She was doing that to reach the person for Jesus. Yes. But look, you can't help. The harvest will always come back. <laughs> what, you, what you do for some, God will do for you. No, I don't know her. Just impressed to buy her meal. So maybe, maybe find somebody that you could uh, pay off their house this week. Amen. You know what? Another thing now, it's a seed. It's a seed. What do you owe on your house? I just owe $15,000 on my house, $15,000. They're going to they're take my house away from me. I owe $15,000. And you pay off their house. Amen. Now who's to say God won't pay off your $800,000 house? Amen. So you got a seed in the ground. Yes. Amen. And all because you just had the attitude and the heart for reaching people. That's, that's wonderful to me. So keep doing this. We're, through the month of September, that's our goal. Of course, certainly, I, I don't think we'll ever quit doing this. I don't think we'll ever quit. But it's, a, it's an idea. It's getting us stirred up. And Gary, to hear testimonies like that, people are hurting out there. Yes. You know, this, this description that he just gave of what this young lady went through that he prayed for, I mean, it's, it's, you and I can't hardly comprehend what that would be like. But people live through those kind of situations all the time. People are hurting. They, they're rejected. They're dejected. I'm going to show you a scripture. Turn to Psalm 68 this morning with me. Amen. You're going to get some things this morning that's going to make your reaches easier. Amen. Of course, the key is, as I said, keep these accessible. Yes. Joel had these in his cell phone holder right there on his hip. See? Wonderful. Again, now this, this takes them to the Word. If the Word's helped you, the Word helps them. So just, just this. Well, people need help like that. They need help from somebody that's got a solid footing themselves Amen. that can help them. The Lord gave me the illustration years ago, like quicksand. He said, you know, I've I, I never been in quicksand, but I, I've watched enough Tarzan movies. I'm, a, I'm, a, <laughs> yeah. I'm an expert on what I'm about to tell you. Yeah. But you know, one thing about quicksand, the more you struggle to get out, the deeper you begin to sink. Yeah. It's just, you just have no hope. If you're in quicksand, there's no hope for you unless there's somebody else. But let me finish that. Not somebody else in the quicksand with you. Right, exactly. It's got to be somebody else that's out, clear of the trouble, of the danger, and got a good footing where they are, you know, something they can hold to. Throw you a lifeline, holding the rope. Have you ever thought about in the scriptures, you remember when the Apostle Paul was young in ministry and people didn't like him? 
I mean, they didn't accept him. They didn't even believe he was Christian people. Didn't even believe he had gotten saved. They thought he was just tricking them because he'd been hurting people, killing and harassing and, and imprisoning Christians. And so most of them avoided Paul. They didn't want anything to do with him. He said, I'm a Christian now. I'm like y'all. And they, he didn't, they didn't believe him. And so he was in a city and people took counsel to kill him. They were going to say, well, let's just kill the man. Now, these weren't Christian people, obviously. These were people, religious people, though. And they wanted Paul dead. Remember how Paul got out of the city that night? In a basket. Now, not a small basket. It was a man-sized basket. They put him in it, tied a rope to it, got him up on top of the wall of the city. Now, they were walled cities. That was protection back in those days. And so they got him up to the top of the wall, and they let him down with a rope in a basket over the wall. Now, can you see? There's the man of God in a basket being let down to spare his life, who was holding the other end of that rope? Have you ever thought about that? Who was holding the other end of the rope? In the book of Acts, it doesn't tell us. Would you agree it was an unnamed hero? Yes. Or heroes, maybe two or three men, who knows, under the cover of darkness? Those men didn't even get their name mentioned in the Bible that we know of. But where would Paul be had they not held that rope? And that's what you're doing. Sometimes it's for your son and daughter. You're holding the rope when other people won't hold the rope. Wow. You just won't let go. I'm not letting go of them. Wow. I mean, you know, I mean, he might, Paul might have gotten heavy going over the side of that room, you know, and maybe the enemy was coming and going to get them, but they couldn't let go of that rope mm. until he was safe on the other side. Mm. And who are you holding the rope for today? Is it just yourself? Mm. If you're in quicksand and you got a rope around yourself, you can't pull yourself out. That's right. Amen. Right. The only thing you can do is get somebody that's clear of the quicksand, clear of the drug addictions, you know what I'm saying? Clear of the problems, clear of the sin that can help you get clearly out. Amen. But you're that person that's free. You're that person that's clean. So help people. Reach out to people. Amen. Psalm 68 is an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever read it like this before, but I want to show it to you. I've never preached on it before, but I want you to get your ink pen out ready to underline. Are you ready? Amen. This is the sixth verse, and I want you to just look at the first phrase of the, first ver of the verse. We'll read the whole verse, but just look at this first part for a moment. It says, God setteth the solitary in families. Underscore that. God setteth. Now, that's King James. I know you've probably got a better version than that, a better understandable version. God setteth. Underline this word, circle it where it stands out for you. Solitary. In the first, right before it, verse 5, he was just talking about fatherless or orphans. You see that in verse 5? Father of the, God is a father to the fatherless. Amen. Verse 5, he's a judge for widows, nobody to defend for them. And so God said he'll just fend for them himself. Amen. He's God in his holy habitation. Then verse 6, God setteth the solitary in families. Now, solitary is a word that means just what you think it is. Solitary. You ever played solitary? Mm -hmm. On your computer or deck of cards? Why, why did you play solitary? <laughs> Because you was counting flowers on the wall. That don't worry me. You see this? That's how many people in this room is fun. About three of you. See, you're playing solitaire. Why? Because you're by yourself. You're alone. That's what a solitaire person is. It's a person that's all alone. It's a person that's, that's separated. And God says, I'll take lonely people and I'll put them into families. And that's exactly what the church is. Church is a family. It's where a person can get united. Last holiday we had was just uh, Labor Day. And most of you were probably getting together, family, you know, those of you that could, and that kind of thing, cooking out or whatever you got to do. We, we didn't cook out that day. We ended up going to airports, you know, to yeah. get everyone's Jeremiah, and that was fun. And I uh, yeah. was just glad y'all brought the boys back home. <laughs> but I noticed 
a lot of my friends were posting on Facebook. It started with one, a girl I graduated high school with, and she's gone through a divorce years ago, several years ago, but been single for some time. And, you know, children go their way after they grow up and get married a lot of times. And, and she was just saying, holidays are the worst. You know, holidays are the worst because I don't have any family, nobody to be around. And another one joined in, you know, and said, I know it. I just hate them. I just wish I was working today. At least I'd be. Another one said, I can't stand them because I've got nobody. Why don't my children even call me on my holiday? And they were about 10 or 12 of them talking about nobody to get together. And I was reading that and it's sad, sad. I was crying for them for a minute and I thought, why the heck don't they 12 get together? Why don't they say, hey, let's all meet? Because that lonely thing is, you know, it's only the lonely. Well, I'm not singing no more for y'all today. But the lonely. <laughs> but the lonely. I mean, it's a horrible thing. I understand. I, I totally agree with what they said. But yet sometimes it's just get up and get out of that. Right. You know, I mean, here's 12 people talking to you. Hello, you're not alone. You got a party. Just get together, cook out. I started to put a text in there and say, I'll cook out for every one of you. Bring meat, bring potatoes, bring. <laughs> I didn't have time. But see, we've got to reach people, but people are hurting. And what God says, I take solitary people, people that are lonely, and I bring them into a safe place. Look on the screen up here. This is another translation. God's Word translation. Read it in this. It says, God, and I underline this part, God places lonely people into families. Now, again, I want you to remember what he's talking about, the families. And not that he hadn't got a family and a home somewhere for you, but I think the biggest reference to that is in God's family, in the church. Amen. The greatest place that a person will find fulfillment is when they get locked into a church family. Amen. I appreciate it. Gail saying, I appreciate the prayers of what this yeah. church family does for me. Amen. So he says, God places, look at the whole verse. It's powerful. I'm not going to go on, but look what he does. God places lonely people into families. He leads prisoners out of prison. Say amen to that. Amen. Into productive lives. Now I want you to underline that or write that down in your notes. Productive lives. So you're after reaching people that are unproductive. Don't be judgmental. Yes. Don't sit there and judge why that guy's sitting on a curb. It's not for you to judge. God tells us not to judge, yet we do that. Christians do that. We do that all the time. And he says, don't judge that person. Well, that guy, he probably, that, you don't know his situation. Well, he looks well able physically to me. Yeah, but you don't know his brain. You don't know what he's been through. You don't, you don't know the, tra the, the trauma that he might have experienced in, in life and what's got him hopeless and Hands hanging down. The Bible says lift up the, hand, right. the hands that hang down and strengthen the feeble knees. Right. Yeah. doesn't say judge them because you just don't know. Because, you know, what would put you on that curb? Well, it couldn't be what you're going through now because you're not there. So it must be something greater, you see. And I like what um, Granny said the other day. We were talking about that. I believe it was you talking about this, but we were talking about, you know, I might miss God giving something to somebody that maybe don't really need it, but I'd rather miss God trying to help somebody than to miss God by being stingy or selfish. I'd a whole lot rather err on the love side than to err on the judgmental side. So look at that, productive lives. You say, well, they're not productive. Yeah, but God will take people if you'll reach out to them. God will look at it again. Now look at your verse there, God's Word. God will take lonely people and He'll put them into the families of the church, exactly. And He leads prisoners, people that are bound in, out of prison, into productive lives, but rebellious people, and if they stay rebellious, not only you are going to reach them. But He says, but rebellious people must live in an unproductive land. Our job is to help rebellious people want to see a way out of that. And sometimes the love of a, from a Christian, just, just a, the effort of a bottle of water. Amen. Yeah. The Bible says you, if you give a cold drink to somebody, you're not going to lose your reward. Yeah. There's rewards for that. God takes account of that. You've never, you've never given a cup of cool water to somebody that needed it, that God doesn't take record of that. Come on. Amen. 
and said, you see what they did? I mean, God keeps good records. One more translation. This is the Passion Translation. How does it say that verse? God takes the solitary. Look, it says the lonely, he makes them to be a part of a family. Well, then people need that. The lonely, God makes them part of a family. To the prisoner, he leads them into prosperity until they sing for joy. He takes prisoners, now it doesn't necessarily mean imprisoned in the penal system of, of America. That certainly would be true. You could use it for that. But how many of you know people bound by their own problems? That's, right. Amen. That's, That's right. what he's referring to. God takes prisoners that are bound up with problems. He'll lead them into a place of prosperity until they sing for joy. Amen. Oh, that's powerful. This is our holy God in his holy place. He goes on to say, but for the rebels, there's heartache and despair. Now, you see that heartache and despair? That's where people are now. It's your job to reach out and help pull them out of that mess. They're in the quicksand. You're not. You can help people. We're actually to lead people and lead by reaching out to them. You lead them by reaching to them. And God brings them into the family. And I said this when we were up praying. I want you to make note of this. I wrote this down once you get it. We're not alone when we're reaching out to people. Amen. You're not doing this in your own efforts. It's not how strong spiritually you are alone. I think that's a good key to be strong spiritually. Be prayed up. Read your scriptures. Don't go without having a Bible or access to scriptures. Because, see, you, you're not going to debate somebody into the things of God. It's going to take the Word to do it, and the Word has, is a living entity. The Word of God has the power. You know why you're saved today? You know why you're spirit-filled or why you're on fire for God and fired up? It's because of what Scripture's in your heart. See, I have a right, I have a scriptural right to get on to you when you're not enthusiastic because that means you hadn't done something. Because there's no excuse for a believer other than you say, well, I just didn't get in the Word. Well, if you didn't get in the Word, the Word didn't get in you and that, you're that shy of a, of a day of excitement. But see, you've got to take the Word. Now, if you take the Scripture with you when you're reaching to people, then you've got the same alive seed that sparked in you that'll spark in another. Amen. You give them the Word, and it'll help them. Dr. Jerry Savelle, all of you know him. We call him Brother Copeland's sidekick for 50 years, preaching buddy. He is known as, and I've heard him called this by many people, Jerry Savelle, 50 years in ministry now. He's called one of the greatest soul winners on this earth. Yes. Because he started out just winning souls and still wins souls today. He's a, he's a great man. I know you hear him teach on subjects, but he's a great man to reach the lost. Amen. He was instructed in methods of how to reach the lost by a man named Dave Malcolm. Dave Malcolm's in heaven now, but he was a powerful man, and he led Jerry Savelle in principles and ideas and patterns to learn how to be a good soul winner. Well, in 1984, I got to work with Dave Malcolm. Dave came to Birmingham with Jerry Savelle in 1984. And I was on Brother Jerry's prayer group. And so at certain times we had on the schedule, now Jerry preached, I don't remember, Thursday night, I think it was, Friday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. So there were about five or so meetings, might have been afternoon meetings, might have been six meetings or so. While Jerry was preaching, different ones of us were in a prayer room behind the platform praying for Jerry and what was going on out there. And so we had different times. We'd watch our watch, and if it was my time, I'd get up, slip out, and go behind the platform back there. And, and uh, this is at the BJCC, and, and I'd be back there praying, and, and another one would come out, and we'd go on and so on and so forth. And it was wonderful. And in fact, Dave Malcolm had taught a little course during that time on how, now this was, I hadn't been in ministry long, and, and personal evangelism was still a struggle in my life. You know, not that I didn't have a testimony, but I thought I had to win them to the Lord. You know, I thought I had to do it. I didn't know the Word would do it. I thought I had to be convincing. Mm -hmm. 
But I was, I didn't know. I mean, and so I was, you know, because I thought I was on my own effort, I was nervous about it. And that's why if you're nervous about reaching out to somebody, it's because you think you're doing it on your own effort. You know, in other words, it'd be one thing to go after somebody alone, but if Susan got with me, it, we're strengthened by yes. numbers. Amen. We know that's why Jesus sent people out two by two. But at the same time, you can't negate the idea or forget the idea that God's always with you. Yes. And that if you're using the scriptures, those scriptures will spark their heart that you think you couldn't turn that individual. And it's not to you to turn them, it's the scripture to turn them. Well, Dave Malcolm taught us that, and he taught us how to, to lead people to the Lord. He had written tracts, and so we had his little tract to go by. And he said, just go out now. This was in Birmingham, 1984. He said, now, y'all go out in the afternoon between the meetings. He said, go out somewhere. The Holy Spirit will lead you somewhere around Birmingham and go out and lead somebody to Jesus. And so I went. And the Holy Spirit led me to go to the, to the airport. I thought, there's people at the airport, and they're coming and going. And if they don't like me, I'll go. You know, that's kind of thought. I'll just get on a plane and leave. So I went to the airport, and that was before 9-11, 1984. It's been a long time ago. And so, you know, you could, at that time, you could walk all the way down the corridors and down to the gates, you know, and, and just, you know, watch people get on and off the plane. It didn't have the stipulations that we have today. And so I began to walk up and down that airport, and I ended up on one of those concourses, one of those long hallways, and no one was on it. I mean, it just got completely empty all of a sudden. There wasn't anybody waiting on the plane. There wasn't anybody. It was just, just completely empty all, been at airports, you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm walking up and down that hall, looked like a quarter of a mile long, you know. And here came one lady walking down that hall. And she had her uniform on. She was one of the workers there, custodian or whatever. I don't know, but she was one of the workers there at the airport. And I thought, well, that's God. I'm going, I'm going to attack her. I mean, I'm going to get her. <laughs> I'm going to go after her, you know. And so she saw me. I'm the only guy walking down this long hall. And, you know, and here she comes. And I, I said, I said ma'am, could I talk to you just a minute? She was very helpful. Yes, I can. What can I help you? I said, well, and I pulled out my track. And I said, the Bible says, and I began to read that track because Dave Malcolm said, just read, read, just read it to him. Well, I'm shaking so bad, I couldn't see it, and she would help me read it. <laughs> she, I, I said, thank you. I said, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. I got down to the end of it, and it comes this life-altering question. Because you've read these scriptures to her about Jesus died for you and that you know we're sinners and so forth and so on. It's a good track, real good track. Well, it gets down to the end of that after now. What have you done with those scriptures? Those words have went into her heart. Those words have fallen into the ground of her heart now. They have an opportunity to produce. And so then you have this one question that you ask them and say, now this is a beautiful way to put it. Is there any reason, as I read to her, is there any reason that right now you couldn't pray this prayer with me to ask Jesus in your heart? And to my utter amazement, she said, no, there's no reason. I'd be happy to pray that prayer with you. I said, really? I said, would you really? She said, I would. Yeah, I really would. I said, and, and I led her to the Lord. And we had a great time right there, you know, and just talked. She asked about the meetings that I was in, you know, and we just had a great time talking, and I went on my way. But it was amazing to me that she got saved off that approach. But I got to looking back and understand it better now than I did then. It wasn't I. It was the Lord. It was the Word. It was the Scripture. If you got Scripture, the Lord does it Himself. In, in that meeting, in fact, uh, later that, that night, on Saturday night, if I remember it, Saturday night, the last night of the meeting, I was scheduled to be back in the prayer room, and it was after worship service, and Brother Jerry was already up at the pulpit, and it was my time, so I'd gotten up and walked out down the hallway to go around to be the backstage to go up there, and, and Dave saw me out in the hallway, Brother Dave Malcolm, and he said, he said are you going to the prayer room? I said, I am. He said, i I, I got to have you right now down here. And so he took me another place. He said, come right, I need you right now. We went into a one of the expo, I don't know what, just expo centers, a small area, but big 
five to six times as big as this room. That's small compared to, you know, a lot of it over there. But in a room this size, and they had been pulling people off the streets of Birmingham that night. Now, this is Saturday night. People were intoxicated. People were high on drugs. And they were bringing them in, and they were needing people to talk to them. And they set me by a gentleman that was big and strong, and, and, and you know, and he was no more concerned about what we had to share than anything. And Dave told me right before I sat down with him, said, look, James, he said, when you sit down with him, he said, he's not going to pay attention to you. He's not interested, but you just keep preaching the word. Just keep saying the word, saying the word. That word will penetrate. It'll sober him up and it'll penetrate his heart. I mean, he's laid out. If I, you know, he's laid out, just stretched. He's like this, like, you know, whatever they're going to do. Maybe they, I don't remember if they had promised him a meal after if they'd stay. And whatever, he's just like, you know, I'm waiting on the goods, you know, and that, and, and I just kept sharing the word and he was just kind of like closed his eyes and I just kept preaching the word. But about 40 minutes of just doing that nonstop, that word penetrated his heart and he just like sobered up. Now what he's high on, I don't know. It doesn't make any difference to me, but he just sobered up and he, then, then he was able to communicate and I was able to pray with him. And see, but the word does that. Look at the scripture, Hebrews four, look up here on the screen. We're all familiar with it. Hebrews 4.12. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you. When you go out to witness to people, to love people, to encounter people, Amen. This, Amen. Is, this is what we take as the word. Why? Because this verse says, for the word of God is what? Quick. quick. Now, quick is an old English word that means alive. You know, that, you, the quick, you, you ever pulled your nail down into the quick? Ow, it's alive. It hurt because it's alive. All right, that's what that word means. It's an old English word. We don't use it. I'll show you maybe another translation, but it says, for the word of God is quick or is alive, Everybody say the word of God is a living thing. The word of God is a living thing. Wigglesworth said it like this. Judith, let me borrow your Bible just a minute, please, ma'am. Wigglesworth said it like this. And I pointed this Bible so you can get it. Wigglesworth said, never say this book contains the word of God. He said, never say it contains the word of God. This word is living, breathing God. Yes, Amen. It's a higher level than what most of us think. This word is alive with the life of God Amen. himself. So here it says the word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So if you have one scripture to give to that coworker or to give to that stranger or whoever it may be that you're working with, now the, now the little card can take them to a lot of scripture, take them to sermons. That's going to help them too. So you've got ways to help them. So let me read the whole thing. For the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to pierce even, now this is King James, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Literally means it gets right down, it cuts right down to the heart of the matter. Yeah. And of the joints and the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of that man's heart that I was praying with in that civic center that night. It gets right down to the heart where I can't reach. He don't want me in, but the word penetrates it. You know, I, I'm driving my dad's truck. You know, I, I, I bought my dad's truck from my sisters, you know, they're part of it. And, and uh, I've been driving that's 2000 Ram and it's a good one. And what I was going to say about the truck, the tailgate on it had messed up the cables that when you pull that in the middle, you know, the releases that and it had messed up. And if you'd ever seen me try to open that thing, I mean, you know, I had to get up under it and do a football shove and this kind of thing. And it was just an act of Congress as we say to get it open. So the other day I decided I just put some WD 40 on it. I used to work with a mechanic back 40 years ago, and he would say this. He was not a Christian man. He'd say, I, I believe in this WD-40. He said, I love WD-40 like you preachers love Jesus. <laughs> now, we'll see where that gets him in eternity, but, you know, I thought, I'm going to try some of this. I mean, I'd been using How long, Jeremiah? For 12 years, 12 years, hurting myself, trying to get the, the tailgate open. 
So I sprayed that WD-40 on it. You know what it did for it? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely didn't make a bit of difference. And then the next day or two, I went back to open it again, and it nearly fell open. And now I can do it like this. Now I can stand back over here and tell it to open it. It'll, just, it'll open up. <laughs> almost. Almost. Now what happened? Y'all know what that penetrating oil did. Yeah. That oil, when I sprayed it on there, it didn't do anything, but it kept penetrating yeah. and penetrating till it got down into the mechanisms of that thing. And I literally can open it with a finger now, you know, I guess. And, uh, and so, but it, now think of the word like that. See, look, the word is able to, is a discerner of the thoughts. It's a discerner. It gets into it. Look at this other translation, Amplified Classic. Boy, if this don't set you wood on fire. Lord says, for the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it ap active, operative, energizing, and effective. Amen. Message says his, now watch the powerful message, Eugene Peterson. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything cutting through bad attitudes that you're witnessing somebody, cutting through hurt. Some people are so hurt they've got defense up, you know, you can't, but they'll cut through that. Look, it says, the word is sharp as, as a surgeon's scalpel. It'll cut through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. It'll open up the heart of the person that you're talking to. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word or unaffected by it. You say, well, you can preach that word all you want. It ain't gonna affect me. Oh yeah, it will. <laughs> See, it will. You're, and you're loving them. Now, you've got to say it in the right attitude. Yes. But you just keep loving people, letting them love and staring that word. And they don't mean to, but it'll get in their heart. Amen. It'll just penetrate right down. It might take a day or two. Don't you get upset when the tailgate don't open right the first day you sprayed it. Oh, man. You see? You say, well, they're still acting ugly. Well, that's good. That devil's upset now. I'm glad he is. And that devil's going to leave. They're going to wake up. And, and like that little girl that I shared with you for two Sundays in a row, you know, the little Harry Krishna girl, remember that story? Is just all of a sudden when the presence of God came in, she just realized I've been deceived by all this cult and gave her life to Jesus. What happened? She had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. Read on. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether it's doubt or defense, laying us open. You remember when in the book of Acts, when they preached the word, Peter did and all, and, and they says they were cut to the heart. The people he preached to were unsaved people. They were cut to the heart. What that means, the word penetrated down to the heart of the matter. And these people that had before been anti-Christians against Peter and them, now with their heart cut, they said, Peter, what must we do to be saved? Come on. Amen. You see that? You see that, don't you? All right, so he says, again, nothing and no one, now underline this or make a note of it, nothing or no one, you see where I'm reading right here? Yes. Nothing or no one is impervious to God's word. Amen. They can fold their arms and say, I'm not listening, nah, 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 I'm not listening, but the word gets in there yes. and it's going to work its work. We can't get away from the word no matter what. And that's the truth about the word when we give it to other people. They just, can't, they just can't get away from it. So we're in this place where the word does the work. I, I told a story one time. Y'all mind me telling another little quick story? <laughs> At the old facility one day, we were filming television broadcasts. So we were there. it was a Friday and we were there all that day. And right about lunchtime, we were still had been filming, but we just had come to a break. And two young ladies came in. Now, this was, this was about... 1995, four or five, about 95. And these two ladies looked to be maybe in their early 20s, close to 30, maybe, I don't know, 20s, mid-20s. And they came in to the church where me and the staff were in there, just had been filming. And they said, uh, we want to know if y'all help people with uh, food money or something like that. You know, need some money, it'll help. This girl needs help on a bill or whatever it was they said. Well, I, you know, I always check inside 
And, and I don't give everything to anybody that asks because sometimes you're supporting their habit, you know, to do that. And, and, but I don't, so I don't judge it. I just listen to God. As I, Jesus said in John 5, he said, as I hear, I judge. So I'm going to look inside. So I look inside and the Lord said, minister to them. And, and said their want for what they were asking for, money or food or whatever it was, their want for that will let them listen to you for a while. And I said, well, y'all come into the office with me and I'd be glad to talk. So I went into my office and, and of course the door was open and I said, y'all sit down here and I was just going, I'm going to witness to them. I'm going to preach to them just, you know, as long as they'll let me. Well, one of the ladies, girl number one, she came in and sat down and the other girl wouldn't come in. She just sort of stood in the doorway like, oh no, we're, you know, I'm not getting trapped in there by some preacher preaching the word. I'm not going to do it. And so she was real nervous out there and she wouldn't come in. And so I just started preaching. I learned that from Dave Malcolm. Just keep preaching the word. So I just started preaching the word. And I was talking about how Jesus had found me and saved me and brought me out of this and how good he was. And I just kept talking about Jesus, kept talking about Jesus. Because this girl, number two over here, she just like this. She'd, she'd walk away from the door. She'd walk out into the little bookstore area. She'd just like, come on, I, I just ain't having this. You know, she's just all upset like this. So I thought, I'm just going to center on girl number one. And I'm going to preach everything girl number one. And I just kept preaching to girl number one. And the more I preached to her, and she just sat there, she just listening real nice, you know. And the other girl just pacing mad and back and forth. And she'd listen for a minute and get mad and run back. Yeah. And, and you could see it was upsetting this girl, but I just kept focusing on girl number one. And I kept focusing on girl number one. And I mean, I must have preached 30 minutes. And I said, uh, I said, well, is there any reason why you couldn't give your heart to Jesus right now, girl number one? <laughs> and girl number one looked at me kind of like she did when she walked in. And girl number two, standing at the door, said, there's not any reason I can't get saved. And she had tears running down her face. I'm like, oh, girl number two. I'm after girl number two. <laughs> and so I was able to lead girl number two to the Lord, and that sparked her. So, well, I'll pray it too, you know, and came in. So what you don't expect, but see, the word penetrated her heart. And, and as you got to lead them both to the Lord, and, and we helped them with a meal or whatever it was, I remember that day. So anyway, we can do that because the word is the word that does it. So you have to ask yourself, listen to this question, just make some real quick notes on it. Now you can just write down words. I'm going to give you sentences. Ask yourself every day because you have these things to offer people in you. And so you have to ask yourself before the day ends, did I offer peace today? You've got peace. People need peace. Now just, if you'll write down the word peace with a question mark, that'll remind you. Now you don't go to sleep at night until you've offered somebody some peace. You know, don't get under condemnation about it, but just make that you go. If you do it in the morning, you think about it through the day. Have I offered anybody peace today? Did I bring a smile to anyone's life today? Amen. Did I say words of healing to sick people today? Mm. Just words of healing. You can just jot down simple notes, you know. Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger toward other people and show people how I forgive? Mm. And resentment, did I forgive? Did I love? All these things you have the ability to operate through. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we did it? Amen. The Holy Spirit is at work within us to reach lost, backslidden, misplaced people. But right. we're calling it the touch, the reach. Touching is a result of reaching. And I said to you last week, if you don't use the little extra effort, you'll never, never touch people's lives. Now, it's not just unsaved people that we're talking about. Sometimes it's Christian people that just need help. Right. 1980, I'm backing way up now in my stories, but 1980 when I got saved and God called me into the ministry. Now, I'd been... Uh, somebody asked me what my background was before I got saved. I said, heathen from hell was my background. I was way out there in the world and dangerously out there. And I got saved at 20 and in my home church, because I was always a part of my church. I was, you know, I, I always told people I was in church on Sunday morning and bars on Saturday night. I mean, it was just a stupid place in my mind, but I thought that's what you did. And I lived that way and I was separated from God. And when I got saved, I was all in. Well, the people in my home church 
no one acknowledged my calling except one lady. You know, no one encouraged me is what I'm saying. I was very discouraged. I was in, a, I found myself, I'm saved now. I'm saved on my way to heaven and, and getting ready to go follow God in the ministry because that's what I hear him calling me to. But I was in a very lonely place because I had no support. Mm. No one, you right. know, just long story right. short, I won't go into all the details. I didn't have anybody though wrapping their arm around me and saying, hey, I'm for you, except one lady by the name of Miss MacDonald. And we called her Miss Mac. She was, oh goodness, at that time, her husband had died a few years before I was born. And so she had been a widow for a number of years and uh, had, of course, had a daughter and I went to school with her grandchildren. I knew her very well in our church. And after I got saved and gave my life to Jesus, she saw that call on my life. And I didn't go a Sunday that I didn't come to church that she didn't give me books. She'd order them off the, off the radio programs she was listening to. You know, she'd listen to evangelists like Oliver B. Green, some of those old guys, you know, and she'd order those books. And I'd never come to church that she didn't give me a book on a Sunday morning and, say, and have her name signed in it and some little thing to encourage me. She said, well, James, now this is going to help you a whole lot in your ministry. I, of course, I have those books on my shelf today. And so she was just everywhere. But I can't tell you what her reach to me did for me in that very lonely place in my life. Because I, I just didn't have people. I mean, I was, I told Susan, I said, I was struggling whether or not God called me. And I know they were too. I understand it. But this woman, she looked beyond all that and just said, hey, God's working with you. And she saw that. And so she became a great, great part of my life because I knew she believed in me. And so times when I would get discouraged and want to quit, I'd pull one of those books off the shelf and just read what she wrote in front of it Amen. and get, a, get an encouragement that said, Miss Mac believes in me. Miss Mac believes. And sometimes that's one of the best reaches you can do is help somebody that's just struggling. Doesn't mean they're unsaved. They don't even have to be backslidden into sin, but just let, you, let them know that you love them. Amen. And it reaches them. It helps them become what they need to be. So amen if you can amen. see all that. Amen. Give you this scripture. Look at Psalm 34, 8. And this is one that we all know, but this is what you're giving people when you touch their lives. When you reach out to a word, you're giving them a taste. Amen. I mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago, but look at it very quickly. Psalm 34, 8 on the screen. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Amen. But the things I want you to pay attention to are those two words, taste and see. Yes. Amen. Taste and see. You know how last Sunday morning I was telling you that we owe the world a debt? Paul yes. said, I'm a debtor. Paul, yes. The apostle yes. Paul said, I'm a debtor. Yes. In other words, if you've been saved, then you're a debt to every lost person. You're in debt to every lost person to tell them how you got saved because they need it too. Yes. But we're a debt to that. If you've been delivered off drugs, you're, you're in debt to every mother's yes. daughter or son that's in bondage to that to help them get free. I mean, because God did that for you. So there's an, a debt there that we pay. Yes. But we pay that, we owe that debt to God, but we pay it through reaching people. Does this make sense to anybody? We pay the debt for what he did for us by reaching out to others. All right, now, so this is a big deal. Taste and see. We give people a taste. But what happens is when you give people a taste, they start seeing or the perception changes. This is why people that seem like they don't want to hear anything you've got to say, if you ever give them a taste, how do we say it? The proof of the pudding's in the eating. You know, uh, John Parker, when he's at our house, you know, he's got certain things he don't like. And of course, I raised his mama. I know exactly what, you know, because you try to give Avril something when she was little. And I said, Avril, eat this. She said, I don't like it. I said, you've never had it. She said, I know it, but I, have not, I just don't like it. I said, how do you know you don't like it? Well, I just, of course, she's judging by the way it looked, you know. Just because it looked like green vomit doesn't mean it's bad. Just <laughs> eat this stuff, you know. And, uh, but you know, but John Parker now working with him when he's at our house, I, I worked like, like we had something the other night that Susan made was absolutely wonderful. Don't come over for leftovers. There's not any much. But it was absolutely wonderful. She had spinach in it, fresh spinach in it. And John Porker liked the 
cheesy sauce that went on the, yeah, fettuccine's word. But, but he didn't like the spinach. And so, you know, I'd, I'd say, look, I said, John, just try the spinach. No, I don't like it. I said, you don't know. Come on, just try it. Just try it one time. And what really got him, I said this. I said, you know, Popeye's going to be mad at me and you. If we don't, Popeye, I said, oh, yeah. He said, <laughs> and then you know what? He liked it. And he went after another one. Well, a lot of people say, I don't want to hear that preaching stuff. I don't want to. Hmm. Hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Taste and they'll see. If you taste, the perception changes and they'll see what the, the Lord is good. But you've got to give them the taste. If you don't ever give them the taste by giving them a scripture, you'll never, never be able to reach them. In that word Hebrew, the word taste and see together means to be exposed to. So what you're doing is you're exposing people when you reach to them. You're exposing to them the scripture. It actually means to encounter, or I hope you'll write this down, it means to have a face-to-face. -face. When you give them a taste, you give them a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. This is why we're singing, you know, Lord, we want an encounter with him. We're not singing that just to be singing. We're after it. So it means to have a face-to-face -face encounter, causing them to take consideration and understanding. Somebody said, well, are there really opportunities? I don't know that there's any opportunities, Brother James. Are they available? Well, look at this scripture on the board. John chapter 4, 35. Now, let me give you a background on it. I'm going to read to you out of the contemporary English version. Amen. But you can write it down. Now, the story is, this is where Jesus ministered to the woman. You remember the woman at the well? Yes. yes. She'd been married four times. Now she's shacking up with somebody. And yet Jesus loved her enough to help her. Right. He didn't stand back there judging her. Right. Amen. He knew what she was going through, right? Mm -hmm. Let's look at some highlights yeah. of this. Before we read now, just don't read ahead on me. Come on, look up here. Think about this. And then we'll get it and we'll go home. He goes and ministers to her. And of course, he says something like this. So go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you got that right. <laughs> he said, you had four and now you're not even married. You know, you're not even trying covenant relation anymore. You know, and so he said, yeah, you, you need to you recognize that's true. Well, then she began to ask him questions about worship. And he said, you know, those that worship God must worship in spirit and truth and all those things he went through. And then, but the long short of it, she has an encounter with Jesus. Most people wouldn't have anything to do with it. That's why she was at the well at high noon. Now, I know I didn't have to draw water when I was a kid, but my daddy did and my grandparents did, and they told me about it. You always drew water in the early morning or late in the evening because high noon was too hot to go down to the, to the source, to the well. Yeah. Usually the well was some distance from you, or sometimes it was. And said, so you didn't do that. You did that in the early morning and late in the evening when it was cooler. This woman's gone to the well at high noon because she's an outcast in society, and the other women won't let her come without ridicule. And so Jesus comes, he said, must needs go through Samaria. So he's there sitting on the well. When she comes, he ministers to her. The Holy Ghost set him up, gave him clues like we were talking about. And, and he's sitting there waiting on this woman. She comes, he ministers to her. And so it so touches her heart through this encounter. The Bible says, now remember, she went for water. She had her water pot. She went to catch water, Calvin. But the Bible says she left her water pot and ran back into the city where she was not accepted and told all the people in that city, come see a man that told me all I ever did. Now, first of all, Jesus didn't tell her everything she ever did, but he so got into her world that said, my heart was just open to him and he knows everything about me. Y'all come see him. And this woman who was considered an outcast in society was so convincing. The Bible says the whole village started going out toward the well to see this Jesus. So this woman, we say, gets saved or has an encounter with Jesus and immediately causes an encounter in the whole city. She, she's causing, what is she causing? She's changing the culture of her city to a God culture. Or we'd say to a Jesus culture. Do you know what the word culture is? We all come from different backgrounds, different family backgrounds, and so we all have different cultures. And, and some would say, well, their culture's different to mine. Her culture's different. You know, and, and that's true. We all come from different cultures. 
But you know what the word culture means? It's not a hard word. Culture just means how you do life. You know, our culture is uh, we do this. And our culture, well, we do it this way and we do that. You know, everybody's got different things and it's wonderful. It's not a problem. But to have a God culture means we do life with God included. And I got to thinking about in this nation. Now, this nation was founded in a God culture, you know, as far as when, when, the pilgrims came over in the 1600s. And what were they doing? They were bringing a God culture. And, the, and then you had the colonies. And, and, and it was a God culture. Well, man got away from that. I mean, for long, we're uh, killing people in the name of Christianity. And, wow. and, you know, and you know what I'm saying? I mean, people just say, oh, we're Christian because we're in this country, but we'll shoot you in a doggone minute, you know, and that kind of thing. And it got away from God. In the 19th, of course, the country's been up and down like this with God cultures. All the 240 plus years or whatever we're at in our nation. And so here comes... World War II, people had been away from God and World War II came and so many sons and daughters were involved in that conflict that people began to cry, pray and cry out to God and we brought a God culture back. And yeah. the God culture came so strong that God raised up men like Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne, and they're going around the country in tents preaching and having healing meetings and crusades, thousands of people. Sometimes there'd be more thousands outside the tent trying to get in than, the, than could get in the tent. Wow. What, we had a God culture. And then we got away from that. Of course, the Vietnam War brought us back to a God culture in some degrees. And we had the charismatic renewal. But see, things cause us to fluctuate. Right. All right. Well, okay, you understand it. And we're in a very strong God culture now in this church. Amen. That's right. That's right. Amen. You live in it. It doesn't matter what culture differences we have from family backgrounds. Amen. But more than likely, we do a lot of things the same. We're thankful to God for our yes. food. We're, we pray. When we're sick, we yes. ask God for the, we yes. receive that from God. Amen. We go to God. We sow seeds. We're tithing. We're in a God culture. Yes. But how do we become, get, how do we get Walker County to become a God cultural county? Well, we're not on this alone, but it's how we begin to reach. The more we begin to spread out, see, that culture begins to come into the lives of people. Amen. Well, so the story is the whole city now, the whole city of Samaria, of this village, is coming out to meet Jesus. Now, look, at that point, Jesus was talking with his disciples who had just gotten back. Now, the woman's gone. The water pot's laying there. Jesus is there by himself. The disciples had gone to get food. You know the story. They come running back. Here's the food. And Jesus said, I'm really not hungry now. Because <laughs> the Bible said he had been hungry. They went to get vittles. They learned that vittles, they got that off of, that's in the King James, they got that off of Beverly Hibbles and said, we're going to get vittles. And they came back with vittles. And, and Jesus said, I'm really not hungry. And they said, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? Did somebody else feed you while we were gone? Jesus said, well, I've got meat to eat that you don't know of, he said, in this chapter, John chapter 4. And what he meant was ministering to that woman was more satisfying to me than that meat that you brought in. Well, amen. Not that we don't ever eat, but you know, you can get so satisfied with God, you're just not hungry. This is, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. And then he said this, and this is what we're going to read, but I want you to think about this. Now, he got a whole village some distance off coming. Now, they're all wearing, if you think about it, in, in the Middle East, they're all wearing white, most of them white robes or white garb. You know, that was the culture of that day there. They're coming across the countryside toward him. And Jesus said, now, don't y'all say, that, you know, you put seed in the ground and after three, four months, then comes the harvest. I tell you, look on the fields already are white with harvest because the whole village was coming out to meet him. In other words, he was trying to get the disciples to realize there's a harvest in every person if you'll just open your eyes and look. Wow, come on. So in the King James, turn to King James right quick and we'll close after this one. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Who are you talking to, Brother James? All the people I believe is here. John chapter 4. Look at it real quick. 
Can you see those people in all those white outfits? And Jesus said, the fields are white yes. with Amen. harvest. He's looking yes. at those people. Amen. Well, look at this because of time. John chapter 4, let's go back to verse... Verse 29, the woman goes back, come and see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? They, then they, the whole village, went out of the city and came unto Jesus. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed to him, saying, Master, eat. And he said unto them, you, I have meat to eat that you don't know of. Verse 33, therefore said the disciples one to another, has somebody else brought him some food while we was gone? Jesus said in verse 34, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish God's work. And then he said this, this is the 35th verse I want to get you to. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes harvest. You put your seed in the ground. It takes about four months to spend on the crop, you know. Four months, then comes harvest. Behold, I say unto you, underline it, lift up your eyes. One translation says, wake up. One says, open your eyes. You don't think anybody's here to get saved? You don't think you could find it? You came back to church without a reach? You didn't think there was somebody to reach this week? Open your eyes. Walmart's full of people that need reached. You work side by side with people that need reach. You can't say, well, I didn't see anybody that needed. Oh, no, no, you just didn't see. Open your eyes. Look, so look at this. Look at it on the screen. This is the contemporary English version. He said, Jesus says, don't you have a saying that four, uh, four more months and then the harvest? Well, what I say to you is open your eyes and look at the fields. They're already ripe for harvest. Jasper, Walker County, Northwest Alabama, whatever area, Carbon Hill, whatever area you're living it's already ready for harvest. Amen. Your village, your, your, your area, your, your Russellville, your, your place of work, your place of school, it's ripe for harvest. You know, you, what, what's interesting about fruit when it's ripe? When the corn's ripe, a friend of mine was in the cornfields of Iowa. In, in, yeah, I think it was, it was in a cornfield. He was out in the middle of a cornfield. It was hundreds of acres, hundreds and hundreds of acres of cornfields. And, and he was just talking about the corn is ripe. They're fixing to bring in the horse. And he had some of it laying on his car. It's just beautiful. You know, saw the picture of it. And the idea that I want you to see is when fruit is ripe, then reaping it is of the necessity. Because if you don't reap it while it's ripe, what happens? You lose the crop. There's people that are ripe on your job, in your schools, in your And if we don't reap them now, it could be too late. And I know I mentioned this last week, but Samuel was talking about a young girl that goes to school with him, sits beside him in class, tried to take her own life about a week and a half ago now. Right. Tried to take her own life. She's back in school doing better. Right. Thank God for that. But, you know, trying to end her life at 17 years of age. Oh, well, you know people like that. And then you got the other extreme. Look at, look at the young boy up in Limestone County, 14 years old, killed all five family members, mama, daddy, brothers, and whatever it was. Well, I mean, what do you think, where do you think he's at now that he woke up from realizing what he did? See, I told, I told James, that's demonic spirit. Demonic spirit does that, then, then he's, you know, he, he does things and don't know why he did it. I mean, I had a man tell me, a young man that was facing 90 plus years in prison for a crime he committed. And it, it was horrible. I, I want to get into it. And he told me, this, this was a sexual crime against an older lady in a nursing home. And he's a young man, about 20 at that time. He said, Brother James, he said, now this is after he was in jail and I prayed with him and he came to Jesus, you know, and he started facing 99, I think it was 99 years without parole, Jack. That's a long, that's a lifetime. And he said this, he said, Brother James, he said, I used to look in pornography and all this kind of stuff and, and just all spent my time in that. What was he doing? Feeding, feeding, feeding. And he said, then when the crime was committed, I didn't know I committed it till it was over. What happened? The spirit took over. Had no control of his life at that point. That's demon possession. And he said, I, I didn't know it was still over. I, I prayed with a man, Johnny Helms, killed his wife and, no, wife and sister, his sister. 
and said what it was. He was trying to get his marriage back and he came over to the house where his wife was staying with his sister because, you know, they had separated and, and he said, I'm sitting there and, at the coffee table and I'd taken a gun, you know, shouldn't have, but I was just going to threaten and said, my wife was sitting there and I was angry and we were fussing back and forth and I wanted her to go with me, you know, because he, what he's trying to do, he's trying to win her. Right. He wants the marriage back, but he's trying in ways that wasn't working. Right. But he said to me, he said, all I know is I didn't realize I even pulled the gun. He said, I thought in my mind I'd shoot the gun up and just kind of make her realize, talk to me. You know, it was just frustrating. He didn't know how to do talk to her without violence or threat. Right. And he said, so I didn't know that I'd killed both of them before. Wow. Now what happened? That devil had just, that anger, bitterness, whatever it was, had gotten such a grip on him. Well, he'd run the rest of his life. He, he told me, of course, Calvin, you know, you deal with prisoners. He, he said uh, he was facing life without parole. He said, look, I deserve it. I, I deserve it. I, I'm not going to go in there and say I'm not guilty. I'm guilty. I killed my wife and killed my, my sister. He said, I, I deserve to die myself. I, I don't care what they do to me, but he said, I'm saved now. I know I'm going to heaven whenever I do, but I'm not asking to be out of this prison. He said, I deserve to be here. He understood what his crimes have done. But see, what happened, my point I'm trying to get across to you, people get caught up in these things and they do them right. and they don't realize until it's over because right. they fed that devil till it took over. Right. And so we got to realize, listen, you and I can be the one to reach a person before it comes to that. Save people's lives, save people's marriages, save people's future. Think of a 14-year-old boy killed all of his family. Where do you think his life's going to go without God doing a supernatural work on his mind? What's going to happen to a man like that? His life's over unless God can get in there. Right, amen. But you're the God connection. Amen. We owe a debt. Listen to me. Last statement. I'm going to close right here. We owe a debt. Here's your debt. We owe a face-to-face encounter with every person. A face-to-face encounter. We owe every person a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And it's up to us, and you give it through the Word. Did you get anything out of that today? Stand up with me. Now, I can't keep preaching. I, I mean, I can, but you can't take it. But the point I'm wanting to make to you is God holds us accountable for our generation. You say, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. You'll be accountable to it. And so it'd be a whole lot better to do it. And then, then you're going you're gonna to find real life when you get involved in it. You see the joy on mama today. You see the joy on, on Lisa today. You see the joy talking about, and, and, and Gary, talking about the opportunity to minister to people. That's where the joy comes from. That's where real living comes from when you help people live. So get those t- cards, and then, as Susan said, when you come back,